0: Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. John Grace and my co-host here, Daniel Medina. We are the hosts that love you the most here on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. And we like to talk about what's going on in a general way, but also very specifically in terms of what the information might mean to you, as opposed to just coming up with, you know, things that are interesting, but they're pretty much meaningless. So I think the good news is, as we look out of our windows, uh, this is a beautiful Wednesday, and we can agree that spring is the season of new beginnings, spring has sprung. It's that time of the year that fresh buds bloom, animals awaken. And the earth seems to come to life again. I, I have some uh, experience with this. I mean, we're in California, of course, but I spent some time in school in Minnesota, and you know, it's it's amazing what happens during the winter. Mostly from the standpoint of witnessing some of the trees that look like they're not going to make it through the winter and some that look just as vibrant as it would be, but by spring, they sometimes reverse themselves. The ones that look the sickest are blooming the biggest and the baddest, and the ones that look the strongest just kind of look okay. <laughs> they didn't weather that winter too well. So we use that both as you know clearly a demonstration of what's going on right before our very eyes, but it's also an analogy, if you will, that spring, always follows winter now that's not just looking at the seasons that's also looking at the markets so we'll be looking at the markets today with you from the standpoint of what some of the pundits are suggesting are right around the corner and let me just um, say to you that i'm afraid that the majority of americans are as poorly prepared for the next hurdle as they were for the last times okay we're in america it seems like we we don't learn from history as much as we're in the business of repeating history so we'd rather learn from history and not just assume everything's going to be fine and be optimistic. and uh, the problem with being optimistic is you become complacent and when you become complacent it might be the equivalent of taking our heads and sticking them in the sand and exposing some very dear parts to mother nature so we want that's not what we want to do we want to be vigilant We wanna be agile, we wanna pay attention, and we wanna be prepared for the good, the bad, and the ugly. So our agenda today is to look at the top five rollover questions to ask your advisor because there are five primary questions we think are important for people to to go through before they move the money or before they just leave it there and never look at the account again. And then we wanna look at how to manage an inherited IRA some of the laws have changed in terms of how people can receive those distributions that they must take. Um, So it's a little confusing in terms of how it was last year and how it is this year. Uh, We've seen that um, with our clients who, you know, the sister is saying, well, this is how it is. We're like, well, wait a minute. Here's what the IRS is saying. So your sister remembers how it was last year. That's not applying this year or vice versa. So we thought that would be a a good uh, piece to kind of look at from an informational standpoint. And then as we look at the markets, like I say, we'll look into the details, but the question becomes, and we'll spend some time here, how might you keep your assets from being handed to you? How can you keep your assets intact, no matter what is around the corner, the good, the bad, and the unforeseen? What is the evidence that you do not have to be on the roller coaster ride and, uh, and maybe get sick to your stomach or worse? What can you do to keep your assets pretty much the way they were without there being a severe dip to your assets? Now, there can be a severe dip to wherever you might be invested in general, but it's kind of like looking at getting on an airplane, right? You know where you are, you know what time you're supposed to leave, and you know which airport you're supposed to arrive at, and you know about the time that you are expecting to arrive. So the question becomes, how can we get from point A to point B on time safely? And that's the same question we think is so important when it comes to managing our life savings, because uh, in some cases, we may not have enough time to recover or the markets don't recover um, as we imagined. Uh, But if things just aren't, you know, in general, turning out the way they need to turn out, but more importantly, if you're whole or near whole, or you can have a nice day, you can let the market do whatever the market do whatever it does go down like the titanic never to see light uh at the, the day again see daylight again but that doesn't mean that's what has to happen to you and your money so we'll get underway and and cover those things and and we want to start with as we do what is the dow the s&p and the nasdaq doing year to date so year to date of course means from january 1 2021 through today And, of course, the market is open for the next uh, 53 minutes or so. Uh, And we see that it's a pretty good day on the Dow, up 23 points. Um, And the year-to-date return is a good solid 8.21%. Now, hold that thought, 8.21 for the Dow, looking a little further at the S&P 500, which we think is a broader index, 500 stocks, which might make for a better sample, if you will, of what the markets are doing. And we see we're up about 30 points so far today, and the year-to-date return is 6.26. This is where it becomes interesting, because when we look at uh, the NASDAQ, we can see that on an annual basis, it's up almost 81%. I mean, that's a rocket ship, right? And so many of us are expecting this rocket ship to keep rocketing on. So this is, as I say, gets a little more interesting because if we see a reversal, certainly of what we saw a year ago where the NASDAQ was continuing to hit new highs, uh, we are in record high territory. But on a year-to-date basis, you know, the NASDAQ is up 3.29%, uh, 3. three just a little over 3%. It's up about 2% for the day, big day, up 268, almost 269 points. That's a big day. But notice, if it's up 2% today, and it's up for the year 3.29, that's what I'm saying is so interesting, because the NASDAQ this year has wavered between positive numbers and negative numbers. And clearly, this big day today has added a lot to the numbers being more favorable to the upside as compared to the year. So we'll continue to watch this. And, and, and it looks like the S&P is pushing higher in record territory as President uh, Joe Biden prepares to push his $2.3 trillion infrastructure plan. So we, we don't just want to drink the Kool-Aid and expect everything to keep going up in value, whatever it is that, where you have your money, because so many people become complacent and expect that this will continue through death and I could die peacefully and real, real, feel real good about myself. But as you know, in the real world, whether it's COVID-19 or just ordinary living, things go all right things don't work out as we plan. So that's why we would submit. It's so important to prepare for the worst case scenario, because if you can weather that one, you're probably going to be okay. And the way we put it is let's plan for the good, the bad and the unforeseen. And there are some techniques that we'll discuss that can help people keep their assets from being handed to them, if you will, uh, so that the decline isn't so severe. You can continue to have a nice day because your account isn't going down uh, below a level that is is unsustainable uh, or certainly unacceptable to you uh but you can feel like you're still in the game no what no matter what the markets might be doing so let's look at uh uh let's see what's our first subject daniel uh rollover questions for your boss. yes yes so uh, you had uh, you had five that you wanted to bring to our attention
2: I do. This is becoming this is becoming an interesting topic because rules are changing in our industry all the time, and it's always an interesting question as to what people can do or want to do with their 401ks there's a lot of misconceptions with 401ks and they're they're great places to put money and what typically happens or what see what i see happen to a lot of people is they'll start at some company they'll open a 401k they'll start put some money into it their employer might put some money into it then they'll leave and they go somewhere else and do the same thing and then they'll go somewhere else and then they'll do the same thing so at some point the person has three or four 401ks that they forgot about or they lost or might've gone to the state on properties because they moved and they didn't, they never changed their address, but then people can't find them. So p- this becomes a challenge for people as to what to do with their 401k, because that that's a real, that's a real fear that it's going to, that they're going to lose it. And they don't know, they don't know what they really can or can't do for it. So the first uh, qu- so the first thing is when you leave your employer, um, depending on your vesting schedule, your 401k is yours to take. Now, every employer has different vesting schedules, and that only applies to the money that they put in on your behalf. Money that you put in on your behalf is 100% yours. Money that they put in for you, whether it be a match or something like, a, like a, some, some other contribution that they, that they put in for you, it, it could be vested over a certain period of time, say four years. And every, every 401k has its own vesting schedule. So check with your employer if you've left your job on how much you can take with you. But the first question to ask are, what are your options for the 401k? And typically you have four. You can typically leave the money where it is so long as the company stays open and they don't force you to take your money out. You can leave it there as long as, as, long as you want. <clears throat> the second option is you can roll it into your new company's 401k plan if they have a 401k plan. Um, you can move it from your old to your new and you can just kind of keep rolling it with you um, <clears throat> wherever you go. So long as your new company has a 401k and they'll accept rollovers, most companies will. The third option is you can cash it out. So you can take a distribution from the plan. Now, that's that's a taxable event. And depending on your age, it also has a penalty. And the way taxes work on 401ks are the same as any retirement account. If you're under 59 and a half, you're subject to a penalty plus regular income taxes. And that's whatever your regular income taxes are for that year.
1: So as an example, I think we were studying a Michigan person uh, we work with who's about 45 years old, and it's all of $10,000 that she's cashing out. And I think you assume that she's in an ordinary income tax bracket of about 24% as of last year. So that means $85,526 to $163,000 in taxable income that she has to show as income earned. Uh, regardless of whether she has other income, it doesn't matter. This now has has to be taxed, and because she is 45, which means that she's under 59 and a half, there's also a state penalty in the state of Michigan. It is 4.25 percent, and it's a 10 percent penalty because she's under 59 and a half. So that totals 38.25 uh, percent. To use her $10,000 will cost her $3,825 that's what we want to make sure people understand. This is very expensive money if you must put your hands on it prior to 59 and a half. And regardless of your age, what we would submit to you, don't leave your retirement funds just lying around. Oh, it's somewhere. It's doing okay. I have a statement somewhere. Is it doing what you need it to do? Is it going to turn upside down on you? You have no idea. But the thing that you cannot escape uh, and you really can't, well, you can manage to the extent that you're going to either uh, avoid the penalty or not, but the withdrawals are going to be 100% taxable.
2: Yep. Yeah. This is very expensive money to use. And that's that's always the biggest point we we want people to see when they're considering cashing out their money early. Don't do it unless you absolutely have to. Probably the most expensive money you're going to grab. Well,
1: yeah. And to your point, we would say if you need the money, look at other sources first everyone yes. we know who ran to that account because it was as easy to take the money out regretted it 5 10 years later and and some even bothered to do the math to see well when i took that money out i did pay some of it back or i put it back in my account but they see how the absence of the time made a uh, for less money that they would have when they really need this money but try to put it in perspective this way i mean i think it's it's kind of easy to say if you're looking for a new car and daniel has one for $10,000. And I have the same car with the same mileage, right? The same vision. They're both in the same shape. But the cost of my car is $13,825. You would never buy my car. But that's the premium you're paying to get your hands on the money <laughs> to, to get, you know, to get the $10,000. that's going to cost her $3,800. That's quite a premium.
2: Yes. Yes, it is. And the last the option for your money, typically when you leave, is you can roll it into an IRA. And like I said before, as soon as you leave, the money is yours. You can roll it. You can take it with you. So you can put it in an IRA, which is a similar kind of retirement plan, but it's your own plan. It's not sponsored by the company you work for. It's yours. You take it. You always have it with you. It's always your, your money.
1: And one of the questions that come up, and particularly we're seeing it in the news right now, is to make sure you address the costs because, and, and understand, we, we, we talk to people all the time. We, we manage uh, 401Ks, pension plans, and, and so many employees just know in their heart of hearts that it's free. It doesn't cost them a thing because they don't see the expenses. That's kind of like saying the bank is free. You don't see the charges, but it you know it's not free. So, and, and understand to the extent that the account is larger Unlike homes, for example, where it's 5 or 6%, whether it's a $1 million house or a $5 million house, the the beauty in my mind of uh, working with the securities industry is uh, size matters. In other words, the larger the account, the lower the cost. So when you're in a company-managed plan where you may have 20, 50, 100, 200 people, Contributing and um, com- contributions coming in from the for the company. That's going to be a larger plan, which just means that the expenses on the account are a lot cheaper than they will be when you move when you're managing your own money, no matter where that money might be. That there are also some pluses and minuses, and I want Daniel to discuss a little bit with you. And that is, uh, you know, you have a very regulated plan on the job with very limited options. Now, you know, there may be a thousand. Options. It looks like a lot, but Daniel, what do they typically fall into? No matter how many options the company has provided, what categories?
2: So this is this is changing uh, in the industry, but traditionally, it's it's usually cash stocks or bonds, and it's in the form of mutual funds. And it's just a mutual fund that's either either a cash mutual fund that's holding cash, one that's holding individual stocks, or one that's holding individual bonds, or some combination thereof.
1: And when we say cash, we're talking a money market fund, okay? Money okay. market fund, yeah. Right, probably yeah. next to nothing. But there's only three categories in a traditional 401k account. When you move the money into, into your pot, if you will, uh, now you have the the universe of different options to uh, put as arrows in your quiver, if you will. Uh, there's just a lot more different places you can invest money outside of an IRA, almost without question. I mean, it doesn't matter who IRA, it, I'm sorry, 401k it might be, when that money becomes an IRA or when you don't pay the taxes and you move it into a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, and if you use Roth, you're gonna pay the taxes for moving it to the Roth, but you remember you can't miss those taxes, but now you have a, a large variety of different versions of where you can put the money and that means that you could have, think of it as more legs underneath your portfolio stool. So, did we get to all five? No,
2: we didn't, but we got to go to break. So, let's do that after we get back.
1: We'll be right back to finish this up and sit tight. We look forward to being with you in just a matter of a minute or so. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America
0: at investors advantage corporation our trademark statement the proof is in the planning represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance coupled with a sound plan for the future with the challenges facing our country's frontline workers we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return to reward our nation's frontline employees and clients we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness.
1: Welcome back, folks. John Grayson, Daniel Medina here, your co-hosts who love you the most at Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. And we're looking at some of the options that you have when it comes to rollover to an IRA rollover from a 401k. Uh, I think we've covered two, Daniel. Uh, What are the options uh, you, I, can't, I think you outlined that well. We also touched on the fees, so that would be the first two. What are the, the final three things that we think people should be taking a look at so they don't leave their retirement funds just lying around idle?
2: Well, the third question to ask is how fees are going to change. So you talked about fees in the 401k, and you're right, you're 100% right. For the most part, everyone thinks that their 401k is free. And I have never met any company that does work for free. So that just does not happen. <laughs> not in um, this world. <laughs> it just does not happen. Every 401k plan has an expense. Um, and the only question is who's paying the expense. Um, the, typically the employer and the employee will share some of the expenses. Sometimes the employer will pass on all the fees, but the, the, one, of the, one of the most important questions I ask um, is what are you paying in your 401k? typically on average fees are usually around 1%, 1 one to 2% in that range. And one of the options is rolling your, your fees into an IRA. So the question you want to ask is how are your fees going to change? Now, typically in an IRA, your fees are more than they are in the 401k for various reasons. Um, one, one, like John mentioned, is the scale. So the size of the plan. When you're in a 401k plan, you have the benefit of being <clears throat> with a lot of other people's money, which means it's a much larger plan, which means cheaper, cheaper fees. When you're doing it on your own, Typically the fees are more expensive, but not, not always. So you wanna know what your fees are in your current 401k plan and how they might change if you're rolling into an IRA.
1: Well, and let me say that this is something that is really important and, and, and you, you need, as an investor, full disclosure. And frankly, I've only been doing in the securities business for 41 years now, and, and many of our peers play the shell gate. Uh, you know, we just don't show, we don't, do not operate in the spirit of full disclosure. And sometimes, uh, Daniel will chuckle. We've had a couple of situations where the client says, well, here's the fund I have, and here's the prospectus. And so you can see that the, here are the expenses. And why do you chuckle, Daniel, when, when you're looking further that you can't see in the prospectus, which you think reveals everything?
2: Well, every mutual fund has um, internal costs that don't get disclosed. And depending on the fund, they can range from anywhere from zero to I've seen it as high as 5% or 4% or 6%. On an annual basis, and how would you know that? You wouldn't. Um, an individual, pr- a random person would not would never know that they're there. And it's a, it's a function of how often the the fund is, is making trades on your behalf. So every mutual fund is built up of some asset. Let's let's call it individual stocks. And inside the fund, they're they're trading these individual stocks. Uh, typically, not not as often as daily, but some, some sometimes pretty often. But they're making trades inside your account. So all those trades that they're making get those fees get passed along to the investors. So that adds in turn, that adds fees. So funds like an emerging markets fund where there tends to be more trading have higher fees. And we have a resource that we pay for so that we
1: can see the transaction costs that typically are not reflected in the prospectus. And by the way, one of the reasons the fees are not reflected in the prospectus is because the transaction or the activity, is it it, it could change from one year to the next, okay? So maybe it's 100% turnover one year, it's 50% turnover the next year, and two years from now, it's 200% turnover. So that means how many times we've gone in and out of positions in terms of turnover. So that's going to be the uh, an unknown that will only be realized at, at, at when we get to the end of the year. So that's the that's the official answer. But as I say, you, we think you should be able to see all of the fees, or at least have a range of what those fees are, as opposed to our uh, saying I don't know or it's just not that important. Your account's up,
2: and fees are fees are important. We we all want fees to be as low as they possibly can. But just because something's more expensive doesn't inherently mean it's bad. Sometimes, well, it's yeah. Sometimes you have to pay more to get more.
1: And and to to your point, let, let me. I'm sorry. Jump in. Uh, you know, looking at a physician's three million dollar account when the market was off. 37%, his position happened to be out significantly more than that. Um, so, you know, and let's say it's a very inexpensive mutual fund or ETF, doesn't really matter. So, and and you tell me what you prefer. Maybe the fees in, a, in an alternative position were two to three times more expensive. And of course, we would all not want to pay that. But if on a $3 million account at year in 2008, if the position where the costs were more put additional $600,000 in your pocket, as opposed to it being washed away by the lower cost position clearly you know in one case you're getting exactly what you paid for it and that's what we were able to say to the physician sometimes to have more you have to pay more I don't think you're the cheapest uh, physician in town but that's just the nature of the beast but at the end of the day you want to make sure not only do I know what the fees are but what are they doing for me are they is it a price worth paying is there a value being served as opposed to being unconscious
2: 100 percent. So the fourth question is, should you consider a Roth conversion? And we think this is a great question because a Roth, a Roth whether it's a 401k or an IRA or whatever it is, is a really underused thing by most people. And there are some big benefits. Now, prior to 2010, you had to have income below $100,000 to do a conversion. But nowadays, anyone can do a conversion regardless of their income. That's not true for contributions to a, to a Roth IRA, but it is true for conversions. Now the benefit of converting traditional dollar, traditional 401k dollars to Roth IRA dollars is you pay the, you prepay the taxes um, when you do the conversion and then you get tax-free growth and tax-free withdrawals when you withdraw the money. That's a huge benefit later.
1: Well, and and it, it's worth considering right now, lots of investors are really hoarding cash, if you will. And one of the things we like to do because of some of the work we've um, enjoyed with working with CPAs, we can agree that the industry for accounting and the industry for financial planning, the securities industry have encouraged everybody to put every dime into your pre-tax account. Okay. And, and the rationale is, is strong. It's like a 30% increase to your bottom line, because if you're trying to save the same money outside of a pre-retirement account, it's taxed every year. So you get 30% less in 10, 20, 30 years, whatever the time frame might be. However, here's the other side of the equation that we don't, generally show, and, and that is the required minimum distributions that start pretty small at let's say 72 now, but if you get to age uh, 90, for example, it may be an excess of 10% that you must take out no matter what your account value is. So your account could be down and you still have to take out whatever the required minimum distribution is that is imposed upon you by the Internal Revenue Service. And please understand, You may have the attitude or the practice of buying and holding, but if these are traditional retirement accounts, this is money that you don't get to just hold on to, you must take withdrawals from, and they are mandated. So we like to help people do the math to say, hey, if you're gonna die, it really is not important. (laughs) But if you're gonna live, here's the taxes that are gonna be paid in the current tax law for the next 10, 20, 30 years, as compared to paying the tax now knowing that under current tax law, when you take those withdrawals from a Roth IRA, you will never have to pay taxes on them again, and you do not have the IRS imposing upon you that you must take withdrawals and that those withdrawals must increase. So we think in some cases, it's not all or nothing. In other words, some people we have on a budget, if you will, where they're comfortable saying, hey, I'm, I'm willing to write five, a check for $5,000 a year to move this money, but I don't want to pay the taxes. I have the cash, but I don't want to, I can't write that check. <laughs> so like charge, you know, pay, have me pay $5,000 a year. You tell me what I, <laughs> what I can convert. And that's what I'll do. So we can move as much money as possible to a position where I know it's at my determination as to if I want to take withdrawals and at what level I might take those withdrawals. But that is entirely up to me. I do not have to worry about Uncle Sam telling me, uh, oh, you didn't take enough withdrawal. So now you have a 50 percent penalty or or you didn't take any withdrawal and you have a 50 percent penalty. Nobody wants to go down that road. So it's just uh, uh, another arrow in your quiver from the standpoint of things that you can do to put things more in your favor. We might agree that Taxes are going to go up. We've been saying that for a year. And now we think they're really going to go up. But the point is, you know what the tax bracket is today, 2021, probably won't change for this year. And if you have had a lower income, for example, this might be a good time to move money from a traditional retirement account, 457, 403B, 401K, doesn't matter, to a Roth IRA, pay the tax at the conversion and never pay the tax again. And again, never have to worry about required minimum distributions.
2: All right. One more question. Yes. And it's it's an important one. So what are the advantages to to rolling your money into an IRA? And I think the biggest advantage is working, typically when you're in a 401k, you don't have access to any real professionals that you can talk to. You have, if you're with Fidelity, they may do an enrollment meeting and they may have somebody come out once or twice a year, but you don't have access to them. Usually you have to call the 800 number. And when you're working with a professional, let's say in an IRA, you get the benefit of, of, of working with somebody that you, that you actually, that you trust, that you know is working on your best interest. So I think that's the biggest advantage to working with the professional.
1: Well, and along those lines the professional is going to bother to write a plan we have seen so many people sitting in these group meetings and their eyes glaze over they're bored out of their minds because they don't understand what the presenter is talking about in the company 401k meeting we we do those 401k meetings we do the group meeting and then we offer to meet privately with each of the employees on the job so that we can do their plan and as you know our trademark is very simple. The proof is in the planning and we want everyone to have a financial plan. In fact, we're now providing free financial plan services for all essential workers because so many people throw the darts of their money here, there, everywhere, anywhere, right? And they feel good when it goes up. They don't feel good when it goes down but they don't know what they're trying to do with their money. And that's what the planning process is so important. How much money are you gonna to need to make work optional on your time frame so that you can arrive on time safely? What happens in the event a breadwinner has the nerve to pass on and you're left with all this stuff and all these people and all these things to try to keep up? Now you only have two hands. You used to have four hands. So we need money to make up that difference. And then to the extent that there are children in the equation, how might it be that the kids can finish college and we're all at the graduation crying our eyes out? Now let's see, was it more because they crossed the finish line or was it because nobody has any debt that they have to carry for the next 10, 20, 30 years? We'll, we'll accept both reasons. But that what constitutes a proper financial plan that looks at the pension, the social security, we solve for the difference so people can see, oh, this is what kind of contribution I need to make. This is the return I'm trying to generate. I need to review that annually along with the contribution so that I can see in 10, 20, 25 years, whatever the time frame might be, here's the goal that I'm trying to reach, and we will reassess that regularly so that we can see that, that we're on, ta- on track. All right, I think we, uh, we, we we got that squared away. Daniel, let's uh, look at managing an inherited IRA. What happened in the last year or so that makes this uh, an important item for people who have inherited an IRA to, to know?
2: So there was a big rule change and it was, Prior to January first, 2020, uh, if you inherited an IRA, you had essentially two options. You could withdraw your money within five years of receiving the the IRA, or you could stretch that out over your lifetime, which we thought was a great option. Terrific. Absolutely magnificent, because if you you inherit an IRA at 35, as an example, you could take withdrawals for the rest of your life. Now, you you had had to
1: take the withdrawals. You have right. to take the withdrawals,
2: right? But over your lifetime, you have. But you had. But you have to take it over your lifetime, and that's based on an IRS uh, table that 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 tells you how much withdrawals you you take. And at thirty five, I think it was like two percent withdrawals, two um, percent per year, and then it goes up a little bit every year. But you can stretch that out over over your whole life. So it gives you, it gives you a chance to really to really get a lot of benefit out of that account because you're giving it a chance to grow. Plus, you're taking income from it. So there was a big tax change, uh, a big uh, rule change um, in the last year that uh, made it, that took that option away essentially for most people.
1: All right. How's the schedule going now?
2: So we're going to talk about a few things to consider when you actually inherit an IRA. And this is typically when when you inherit an IRA, it's already a difficult time because somebody passed you're already going through a lot. It could have been a loved one. could have been It could have been a spouse. It could have been a grandfather or a friend, but you're inheriting an IRA at already a difficult time. So it's important to know the, it's important to know the rules. And the first one to know is if that person was already in the required minimum distribution stages of their life, which means, which is uh, today 72 or older, then you have to take the withdrawal that they were scheduled for the year. So if say say the required distribution for this year was $5,000 and they hadn't taken that yet, you still have to take that $5,000 distribution in this calendar year, or it's a 50% penalty. That's pretty steep. Right. So in that example, that's a, that's a $2,500 penalty. And every year you don't take a withdrawal that you're supposed to, it's another 50% penalty. And that's true of all required distributions. So that's the first one. Um, The second thing to know is it's now a 10-year rule. So for all inherited accounts, whether it's a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, the money has to be withdrawn within 10 years. Now, it can be withdrawn at any any schedule within those 10 years, but by the 10th year, it has to be depleted. So you can take out 10% per year, or you can schedule it, you can take out a large distribution this year and no distribution next year, but within 10 years, it has to be depleted you can no longer stretch those stretch those distributions out with some exceptions. So let's go over the exceptions. The first one is for spouses and this was true with old rules and true for the new rules. If you're inheriting your an IRA from a spouse, you can assume the IRA as your own. So it goes from your spouse's IRA to your IRA and then it's the same rules for your own IRA. The second one is for minors uh, for minors, you—if you're under the age of 18—the 10-year rule doesn't apply until you turn 18. You still have to take withdrawals from that account uh, based on your life expectancy, but you don't have to. The 10-year—the 10-year rule the doesn't start until until you turn 18, and then at 18, the 10-year rule starts. So you have that account has to be depleted by by age 28. And the last exception is for disabled and disabled people and. Uh, People within ten years of the the person's age who passed away. So, if the person was seventy and you're sixty-five, and you assume their IRA, you you don't you have an exception to the ten-year rule. If you're disabled or have a chronically ill disease, you also have an exception exception to the ten-year rule. You can you can still stretch those out over your lifetime, which is a big benefit. Big benefit. And you know one thing
1: that's so important, folks. Let me turn it into a trick question. Let's suppose uh, you are married but you have a retirement account that you started before you were married and you made your sister, your brother, the primary beneficiary, and then you die. Who gets the money? Who gets the money, Daniel? The person you named first the person you named on the blank with the beneficiary designation. So it's so important for you to make sure who your beneficiary are supposed to be. And that way they won't go to somebody they're not supposed to go to anymore. Okay. Or the survivor can't get their hands on the money because you forgot to change it to the spouse that you married after you identified your sister as the beneficiary. And then secondly, tell your family where the money is. So they know what to do in the event you have the nerve to go to heaven. They don't need, to search they don't need to wonder Uh, you need to disclose what is where so they can go after it and make sure they get every dime all right so we're going to pick up where we left off with looking at how to avoid what you might be able to do to keep your assets from being handed to you no matter what the market might do right on the other side of the break please sit tight stay tuned we'll be right back
2: Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
0: At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. 2077. That's whybepoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey.
1: the bottom line in business talk when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
0: you are listening to fiscal fitness to reach the show today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com now back to fiscal fitness Welcome back
1: folks. So glad you could spend this beautiful afternoon with uh, Daniel Medina and myself, John Grace, and want you to know that if you do, when you do contact us uh, and provide us with your email address, we'll be delighted to send you from Amazon, my book, Making Finance Makes Sense, Striving to Win as a gift. So if you'd prefer to have a, a hard copy, there is a paperback version available both at eBay and at Amazon and understand that uh, and either way, it's 15, 16 bucks a copy. So the paperback is not my road to riches, all right? It's just not enough meat on that bone. But now we wanna look at uh, what might happen. I mean, let's just understand. Uh, again, I've only been doing this uh, financial planning since 1979, and let me ask you, when was the first time, when was the last time that this anyone from the securities industry shared with you what they thought was going to happen around the corner and help you learn what you can from the past to prepare for what might be a significant downturn in your near future. Typically, we're pretty silent on that note. Typically, we're always suggesting that you buy the dip, that you add to your positions, that you hold and hope, that you sit and take it. And that's what we typically recommend. But we have been paying for research since 1999, and I mean to the tune of $10,000 a year. And I have to tell you, when I'm writing that check, as I have, I read everything I can from the research team, because see, they're objective, they're independent, they have no product to sell, and let's just recognize when we make product, we're going to try to sell the product, right? Whether it's a mutual fund, insurance product, exchange traded fund, it doesn't matter. So let's, and we do not get any recognition or appreciation for saying that there's going to. We always have to be buoyant and and and. Uh, optimistic. That's the industry. That's that's what we always want to represent. But you know, things happen in life. So we always look for the other side of the story. And we want to look at the the edge of that coin as well. Here's what we're seeing. This comes from Munich money managers, Daniel Danon and Tobias Nett. They're they're looking at the volatility index represented by the CBOE, and it has just wiped out the pandemic induced doom and gloom, but they see, they are fretting over the warning signs still flashing across the stock market's underbelly. Uh, They say the recent decline in the Wall Street fear gauge to pre-virus levels, bellies the, quote, tension beneath the calm, quote, within the volatility landscape. So they're looking at uh, sharp correlated moves, uh, just outright volatility is, the exposure is too high, and they're afraid that there could be some significant downsides within your immediate future. So we find that. And then we we find from our research team, and this is just yesterday, where we were sent uh, some of the questions that investors posed, Dent Research. And this was the question that Harry Dent, founder and president, answered. The question is, with the stock market at an all-time high, is this a good time to invest? Or is this the point where the dumb money gets in just before a big correction? Great question. Very well worded. Harry Dent's answer is this. Yes, this is much closer to getting in at the end and too late. I think the Dow could go up to 34,000, 35,000, and the S&P 500 to 4,000 to 4,200. So let me just pause there to say, for those of you who are trying to, we give you the numbers every week that we have the pleasure of spending some time with you. So if you're looking at the Dow, you might look to see, how close do we get to 34, 35,000? In fact, we might go even above that. Or if you're looking at the S&P, you might look as your indicator to be 4,050 to 4,200, or it could be a little bit higher than that. But what he's suggesting is there could be a top here. Dent goes on to say, uh, so there's not much upside left in this market from my view. And the clear megaphone pattern in stocks suggests that the next crash will be down 47 to 50% within a few months. So there's likely a double penalty for getting in so late. So let's talk about how you can put money to work. Uh, and, you know, we, we don't predict the future. We, we, we can't do that. I wish we could, but we can't. Nobody can. But we can't prepare for the future. As I say, it's about preparing for the good, the bad, bad and the unforeseen. And what I'm fearful of, because we do a lot of work with people across the country, uh, talk to a lot of professionals, is that I don't think most investors are any better prepared for the next time the grits hit the pan than they were for the last times. So, and I mean, just recently, a year ago, markets off 35% in five weeks February 19th or March 23rd, uh, 2008, we saw a 37% decline on the way to, in many cases, more than a 50% decline as far as the markets were concerned. So the question becomes, how can you keep your account intact and let the market do what it does, but you can see that you are on t- you arriving, you're, you're, you're being cared for in such a way that you don't you can have a, a nice day. You don't have to pull your hair out. And you you can see that you might arrive on time safely where you want to go if you're trying to achieve financial independence, or that you're keeping your cockpit, if you will, your plane in the air in in, in such a way that the declines if they tend to be severe to the market they don't need to be severe to your account that's what we're really trying to accomplish here to make sure you look at your personal number let the market do what it does we all enjoy the upside but it's that downside that can be so darn damaging and 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 and, and as we've talked about before both in this, these United States and in Japan, we can see the evidence that in some cases, in two, in those both cases, the U.S. took over 20 years after the Great Depression for the market to come back. Assuming you didn't sell a share, assuming you did not take out any money, assuming you held the same positions that crushed you 80, 89 percent in about a 30-year, 30 30-month 30 period, uh, took over 20 years to get back to even. And remember, life expectancy if we were around in the early 1900s was mid 50s. So so that suggests that the market didn't get back while we were still here as an adult. We had to go to heaven, and maybe it came back for the heirs. But um, And then we saw with Japan, right? Uh, for nearly 40,000 in 1989. Last I looked earlier this week, the Nikkei 225, the equivalent of the the, the Dow or the S&P 500, uh, was at uh, below 30,000. The Nikkei 225 has yet to get back to its high of 40,000 30 years ago. Could that happen again? In the meantime, we, we watch people like the very smart Ray Dalio, who says there's a bubble that's halfway to the magnitude of 1929 or 2000. So you've got a number of folks here. He's a uh, He manages the world's largest hedge fund, Bridgewater Associates. Ray Dalio does and happens to be a billionaire investor. He's suggesting that by Our measure, the bubble is not what it was in 2000, not what it was in 1929, but it's kind of like halfway there. So if those bubbles burst and it was a decline of about 80% or so, if he sees... Um, halfway there, that's 40%. It's, uh, interesting that his number is not too dissimilar from Harry Dent's number. We're seeing three sources right now that we're sharing with you that are like uh, canaries in the coal mine, suggesting that there, there, there could be some significant uh, south moves. Okay, <laughs> turning south. Uh, that's what the market might do severely. And the question becomes, what can you do? So, Daniel, I think we've got a couple of uh, techniques that we've been successful with. You've been here since uh, 2006, uh, so you've seen 2008, you saw 2018, uh, you witnessed 2020, uh, just a year ago. And and what would you say is uh, to, for people to kind of wrap their mind around how it is that there are... Uh, systems that can be employed to keep your assets intact, as opposed to allowing our assets to be handed to us.
2: Well, the first one I would say is people need to be more diversified, which is is it's a simple concept to understand, but it's getting harder and harder to do. So it used to be that as an example, international stocks and domestic stocks used to be uncorrelated. One would go up while well, the other one would go down. That's changed over the years. And today they're they're actually very correlated. And they're not <clears throat> it's not a diversifying asset at all. International and, and domestic stocks tend to move with each other. And that's so more t- in tandem. More in tandem, yeah. They're they're more they're more correlated than they used to be. Okay. And, so be more diversified. Own things that do not move with the market. Now that could be real estate. It could be it could be other alternative investments. It could be managed futures positions. Um, it, there's a lot of options out there. But uh, be more diversified. We have we make it a big point for our clients to be more diversified because it's going to smooth out your ride. It's going to give you access to other investments that may not be as volatile. But more importantly, they don't move together. If all things go up together all things go down together. That's, not, that's, that's dangerous.
1: Oh, that's not.
2: Yes. If all things go down when you need the money, you're kind of screwed there.
1: <laughs> that doesn't sound like fun to me. So, yeah, when, when you know, all the graphs are moving north at the same time, that's probably the case that you're going to see them all go south at the same time and you want maybe a 12 cylinder engine in under your hood uh, you know where the cylinders take turns going up and down so that means you have some positions that aren't going up maybe they're flat plateauing but they hold a the position for a good reason or there's even a decline well that might be the same position later that becomes to the upside while the other positions are in decline so so many portfolios regardless of age or goals we see are typically 60% stocks or 40% bonds uh, and people want to believe that they're being conservative because they've made money that might be what they call it but as we see these portfolios particularly when they are 75 80 90% stocks we're going to call that a more aggressive portfolio which means that you are likely when the declines happen you're going to be fully a uh, uh, 100% participatory. 100% participant in that decline. So, for example, Daniel, one of the things in addition to diversification, so it'd be having as many legs, if you will, under your portfolio stool, and, and we've talked about here that when we look at Yale as we do their endowment from time to time, I think we count seven, six, seven, eight legs. And, and in fact, I think their largest position is all of 23.5%. So there's no big bets, but they have a lot of legs underneath the stool that's going to provide Probably for a more consistent, more uh, return over time, no matter what the markets might do. But uh, so, for example, one of the things we want clients to do is to recognize how much loss they might be able to accept. We don't want to just ask you are you conservative, moderate, or aggressive because I don't understand the question, you don't understand the, the, the the answer. So what are we talking about here? Let's dig deeper. Let's look at the loss for whatever your account balance might be. How much of a loss is okay with you? and we want you to see it both in terms of percentages and dollar amounts so that you really get it. And then as we are going through these series of questions, you're going to come to a conclusion as to what amount of loss is okay with you. Then the next thing we're going to do is see what we can, what we can do to put together a portfolio, and we can backtest it in real time to see if this portfolio actually performed within your limitations. Now, as we were discussing uh, a year ago, market's off 35%. Client calls in and says, oh my goodness, the market's coming apart at the seams. We're like, let's look at your account. You're off not that much, (laughs) significantly less. Here's the number. (laughs) Every account is different, so I can't go into the number. But the point is, is that this client could see, I don't have, I'm not worried anymore because I can see the decline isn't as severe as I imagined. And then Finally, I would say the third part of this this puzzle that we think are important, greater diversification, recognizing how much loss you can accept, is putting active management uh, systems into the equation. So how would you describe that, Daniel?
2: Uh, Use strategies that will get more conservative as markets get more volatile.
1: Okay, so the market goes south. Instead of holding shares, to be more conservative, what does the account do?
2: it gets more it's it adds more cash or more more alternatives more fixed income positions
1: so it sells the shares that are in decline as opposed to holding those shares and goes not necessarily
2: the more risky assets yeah maybe
1: from the beginning
2: but yeah but the more risky assets right so maybe it's our tech
1: stocks or our small caps we're selling those positions putting that money in a money market account can't make any money there but we can't lose any money there either and that way we can We have been successful and we expect to do everything we can to continue to be successful at limiting the losses, hopefully within the client's parameters, so they can see I can afford to stick around here. You know, the COVID didn't get me. (laughs) I'm okay. Uh, Life expectancy is now 78, but the wife and I want to get well past 80 or 90, and we're doing everything we possibly can. We don't want to run out of money before we run out of time. So speaking of running out of time, that's exactly what we have just done, Uh, Daniel Medina and I, John Grace. Thank you for joining us this uh, beautiful Wednesday. And we look forward to seeing you on the next Wednesday, just seven days from today, right here on Voice America.
0: Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time and 12 noon Pacific time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.